Let me mention about the uh, intro to Midtown class. Um, that's just one day, just from 9 to 11 on that Sunday morning. So uh, the reason to read the book ahead of time is so we don't have the typical eight-week uh, new membership class or something. And you don't, you're not obligated to join if you show up for the class. Uh, if you just are kicking tires, that's okay too. But just so you know, you're not signing up for a long commitment. Um, Henry Nowing was uh, writing, describing a conversation he had a long time ago, apparently uh, with Herbert Hoover when he was the vice president. Uh, he and another friend had gotten an audience with the vice president, and um, they went in, and he's behind his desk, and they asked him, they said they wanted to talk to him about uh, the role of compassion in government. And apparently he realized they're, they're flakes, and so he gets up and comes around the desk to try to seem nicer, more approachable on things, and, and he's... Uh, Thought for a minute, and then he grabbed a pencil off his desk, and he said, "He said life like this pencil." He said, um, "Most of it, a pencil is um, competition and achieving, and the eraser on the end. Well, that's for when things go awry, and that's compassion, right? So, if you want to understand life, compassion is the eraser tip at the end of the pencil, but most of life isn't that, and." Uh, very hard to imagine that Jesus would suss life out that way, as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, trying to understand who he is and what he came to do. We're at the end of the first chapter of Mark now, if you want to turn there in your bulletin or in a Bible. Um, mostly we've been focusing on why Jesus came in terms of his mission. You know, coming to set the world back to rights and all the ways that it's been broken by human rebellion. Um, and today, in the midst of that, we're going to pull back a little bit and look more at his heart as he's approaching his mission. His heart, which is mainly a heart of compassion. And it shows up in the episode we're going to read today about the healing of a leper. But you get the idea that for Jesus, uh, compassion is a lot more than just the tip of the pencil eraser. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that you would um, open our hearts to you and yours to us as we listen to your word. And we thank you for putting your character on display in your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask that as we think about him and hear from him, uh, that you would let us uh, feel the compassion of your heart towards us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me beginning at verse 40 of Mark 1. He says, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Um, when John the Baptist was in prison and he was uh, wondering if Jesus really was the Messiah as he had identified him to be, 
wasn't sure, so he sent his disciples. They came and asked Jesus, uh, John wants to know if you're really the one or if we should wait for somebody else. And Jesus said, all right, go tell John what you see happen. Tell him that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed. He mentioned a few other things. But the lepers, the lepers seem to occupy kind of a central uh, importance in Jesus' ministry, his dealings with lepers. They also get a kind of an unusually large treatment in the book of Leviticus, talking about what to do if someone develops leprosy or some skin disease like it, um, and what to do to uh, restore them if they're cleansed from it later. Uh, it's an interesting thing, though, because it's not a big part of our lives that we run into very much. It's very uncommon in the modern world. But you get the idea when you read the Gospels that leprosy is supposed to picture the plight of broken humanity. Like, uh, it's a metaphor for all of us of what it means to live as broken people in a broken world. And so it gets kind of an unusual attention in the Gospels because of that. And it's a little bit odd because we're used to thinking that Jesus came to rescue us from our rebellion, from our sins against God, which He did, of course, but... Lepers aren't really perpetrators. You know, they're victims. Right? They don't have leprosy because they did something that they shouldn't have. They have leprosy because they live in a broken world where people get leprosy. Right? They got sick. But the more you pay attention to what Jesus is doing in the world, He, he treats us both as perpetrators of sin and as victims of sin. And kind of in the same way. Um, he sees our plight living in a broken world for which we're complicit, of course, uh, but also in which we suffer in ways that we don't deserve to suffer. He shows compassion towards us in both senses and kind of together, both as victims and perpetrators. Uh, because what it feels like to be broken and to live in a broken world is pretty similar, whether you're a victim or a perpetrator. And his compassion seems to move out towards what it feels like to be us, what it feels like to go through what we go through. Um, it's almost, I think you can say this, and it be, is right, that you, it's almost like our, our perpetrator status, that our sins seem to arouse Jesus' compassion towards us in an extra way. Like the whole reason that He was provoked to come to earth to our rescue, that He loved and pitied us and came to help us, was because of our sin and rebellion. Um, our sins arouse His compassion even more deeply. And so, somehow, uh, without the specific diagnosis, we're supposed to see ourselves in the leper. And think about our dealings with God in light of the experience of the lepers. And that's weird, because... Leprosy is bad, right? Um, everything about it was bad. There were rules. You know, it's, it's a social health issue in Israel because leprosy and skin disease is like it were contagious. And so if people got it, you know, they had to have some strictures in place, some social distancing uh, involved to protect everyone. Um, but there are pretty specific lists of instructions in the book of Leviticus. It's in chapter 14. It's not as long as the list of things you have to do if you get over it to be clean again, which is a couple of chapters later. 
But it says things like this. You can't have contact with anybody. Um, if you have leprosy, you, you have to wear torn, ratty clothes and you can't fix your hair because you need to be uh, identifiable from a distance as somebody who's sick and contagious. You have to be isolated. You couldn't live in the city or in the camp before they had a city. And um, when you came near to people, you had to cover your lip and yell out the word, unclean. Unclean. Now, leprosy is a bad disease physically, but holy cow, I mean, think about the emotional way of that kind of life, that kind of isolation, that kind of dehumanizing experience of life away from everybody that you don't just feel sick, you feel dirty. I mean, it's interesting that the leper, when he comes, doesn't say, if you're willing, Jesus, you can cure me. But he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Because apparently the main way you feel under these circumstances is dirty. Uh, you feel shame more than, the, more than you feel sick. Right? And he's a person who lives in a life circumstance where the most unimaginably good thing that could ever happen to him is to have someone touch him because he probably hadn't been touched in years. And to say to him, I will be clean. What he got from Jesus. Now our experience without the illness is similar, both as victims and perpetrators. Um, sin has dehumanized us. Right? We, uh, we aren't who we should be. It grinds us down. It, it makes us less than human. Um, you can think of examples of this, how greed dehumanizes us, for instance. Uh, it, it objectifies and commodifies everything and everybody. You think of the old uh, story of Midas and the Golden Touch, right? You remember the cautionary tale that uh, he wanted everything he touched to turn to gold, uh, but that caused him to commodify everything in his life, including, tragically, at the end of the story, his daughter, whom he touched and turned her to gold, right? Um, we're dehumanized by our sins. Lust does the same thing. It objectifies people. It breaks the beautiful connection between sex and love and makes the connection between people with sex power rather than love. And it shames people and dehumanizes people. And that's the world that we live in. We also live isolated um, not just like my wife, who is literally quarantined right now, but um, feeling okay. Thank you. But our sins isolate us. Even if we're not told you have to stay away and yell unclean, um, say you're a self-righteous person and you alienate your children because they've seen the falsehood of your faith as they've grown up and watched you and don't want any part of it and you wind up being isolated by your sins. The whole churches can do that kind of thing too. Or if you're a bitter person who can't forgive, then um, you wind up being more and more alone as you go on in your life. And the only people left in your life are there because of some really robust sense of obligation and duty to you. Uh, but it dehumanizes you. It isolates you. Sin does that. And it's all of our experience on some level. Uh, most of us with any kind of self-awareness 
spend a fair amount of time disgusted with ourselves and feel that if others only knew us, that they would be disgusted by us too. And the lepers felt this overtly, having to yell that they're unclean. People responded to them not with pity because they were sick, but with revulsion because they were gross. But that's kind of how we respond to ourselves very often, and it's how we think others would respond to us. It's certainly how God would respond to us since he knows us inside and out, is disgust and revulsion. And that's religiously we're cut off too because of that. Just like the leprous person couldn't go to the temple. They were excluded because they were unclean ceremonially. You know, the temple has no trespassing signs everywhere. Like nobody can go into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. Uh, Then the court of the priests and then the Jewish men and the Jewish women and the Gentiles. But it's just barrier after barrier after barrier. But the lepers couldn't even go inside the walls of the city, uh, let alone approach the temple. And so they live lives, as we live lives, of deep shame. Of deep shame. Most of the time we talk about the faith, you know, we... I, probably am the one who talks the most here, talk about guilt and forgiveness. You know, that, that our guilt is a real problem, that Jesus has come to address the problem of our guilt and to bring us forgiveness. And that's true. But the experience of life as a guilty person in this world is uh, less one of crushing guilt, honestly, for most people, I think, and more one of shame. That we feel ashamed and worthless about who we are, not just guilty about what we've done. And this is the way in which I think we most easily identify with a leper, is that we feel uh, defective, right? Uh, we feel disgusting because of who we are, which is tied to what we've done, but isn't the whole story, right? And for all of us, the idea that Jesus Christ, knowing us full well, would come to us in compassion and reach out and touch us and say, I am willing, be clean, feels like a dream too nice to have, honestly. Feels too nice because we have the same doubts the leper had. You know what he said? You know, he's, he's got a funny kind of faith. I, I relate to this kind of faith. If you're able, you can make me clean. Like, that's easy for me. I don't know. That's probably a kindness of God. The, the, the truth of the faith has never been that hard for me. To wrestle with. Uh, if you're able, you can make me clean. Yes, I believe that. No problem. But the real question is, are you willing to? And that's where my faith is very small. Right? Uh, I doubt that he's very willing to. I doubt that he'd be very excited about it. I doubt that he's compassionate. Um, because I know so many reasons he ought not to be. Right? Why should he be compassionate? Why should he be willing to make me clean? Most of my shame is not sickness, it's self-inflicted shame. I mean, it's not like um, I'm an innocent victim here. You know, the things that make me ashamed, the things that I've done deliberately myself. And uh, I mean, it's easier for me to believe Jesus would be compassionate towards you if you were like a victim of abuse and where it wasn't your fault that you feel dirty and ashamed And His compassion is sure beautiful in a situation like that. But it's easier for me to believe it in a situation like that. Um, Or if you're just sick, 
because you live in a fallen, broken world and people get sick and our bodies decay and die. And, um, I can see Jesus' compassion for that and believe it more easily. If you're, if you're a, like a really good Christian, I can't even believe His uh, compassion is real for you. you know, if you're a person that basically looks at the Christian life like that pencil and says, you know, most of the time I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in things, but I do need the eraser tip there for compassion at certain times. If that's the way you see yourself and that you see life, then I would guess that Jesus' compassion isn't very surprising to you. Um, but it surprises me. And honestly, I feel like it's worse for me. My doubts in this area are worse because I've grown as a Christian. Because part of growing as a Christian means that you get more honest and self-aware about your own brokenness. And you start to see the things that are wrong and you see God's law in some of its nuance and you realize, my goodness, um, I'm way away from this. And the more you see your sin, the more you would expect that God who is holy to be disgusted by you, disappointed by you. Then you have you can pile on and say, look, with all that you've been given, all the advantages, all the teaching you've had, all the friends you've had to help you, and you're still no more grateful than you are to keep sinning, well, how could God be anything other than disgusted by you? And if I'm the only one in here in this room that, that thinks this way, I'm going to be embarrassed at the end, but I think this way, and I'm guessing that you do too. Um, I just don't... Jesus' compassion doesn't connect with me because I don't deserve it. And as Clint Eastwood said, deserves got nothing to do with it. Right? Because Jesus came to us in grace, which is undeserved love and favor. His compassion towards us is not deserved, but it is not weaker because of that or different because of that. In some ways, it's stronger because of that because that's how His grace drives Him. His heart of compassion drives Him towards brokenness rather than away from it. He has a heart of compassion. He loves you and He hates what hurts you. He really does. He loves you and hates what hurts you. Um, he's not repelled by you, but he has a heart of compassion for you. That's simple. I mean, I, I didn't have to read a book to figure that out. I did, but I didn't have to. Um, that's about the simplest thing you could say, isn't it? That Jesus loves you, that he moves up toward you in compassion, that he's not repelled by you, that he's not ashamed of you, uh, that he wants you, that He loves you. And when you come in contact with Jesus, um, bizarre things happen because lepers can't touch anybody. Why? Because they're contagious. What does Jesus do? He touches them. And what happens? The leper gets clean. Jesus' cleanness is contagious. His forgiveness, His ability to wipe away shame from your life is contagious. And it becomes the big story of your life rather than your failures. We were told this a lot in the Old Testament that God's compassionate and if we'd been given a test before Jesus came that said, is God compassionate? We probably would have checked yes and gotten it right. But, you know, Psalm 23, the, the loving kindness and mercy of God will pursue you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our Old Testament reading from Hosea 6. How can I give you up? 
You know, my, what's he said? My heart recoils within me at the thought of giving you up. My compassion grows warm and tender for you. But in Jesus Christ, we have it on video. Right? We see it in Jesus. And somehow it's easier to believe uh, in flesh and blood than it was in the abstract. Easier to believe He loves you. He has compassion, which is longing and feeling from the gut. It's what the word means for you. He aches for you, longs for you, wants you, loves you, and is compassionate toward you. That's what we learn here. Um, even, even when He doesn't relieve you of whatever is troubling you, even if He doesn't heal you, yet, His compassions never end and never fail. And you can trust Him. Whatever your suffering is, is temporary because Jesus is putting an end to death and sickness and tears. You can trust His compassion even in the midst of your perplexity. So, I had a list of things I was going to say about these are all the ways that our lives will be different if we really believe this and take it to heart. And it was a good list. Um, like, we'd be good at mercy ministry. We hired elect these deacons to lead us in moving out in compassion towards people who don't deserve it in our community. That'll be good. And that... The way we look at broken people is different. We don't, um, we don't first think about protecting ourselves from them and what threats they might pose to us, but we think about what they need and what it feels like to be them because that's what Jesus did. Um, but instead of my list of how you can be compassionate like Jesus, um, I want to just say this. Um, some people think the biggest miracle of Jesus is public ministry was that as a 30-year-old male, he had 12 close friends. Because <laughs> friendship is hard. I don't know why it's hard. Um, I'm proud and ashamed and self-righteous, and I think that contributes. But friendship is hard. Um, the idea of friendship with God feels irreverent. We sang about it a minute ago. Jesus, what a friend for sinners... But, you know, kind of generally. <laughs> like, he's friendly towards sinners, but not like would really want to be friends with sinners, surely. Um, but this is what we're posed with here. We, a friend who knows you better than you know yourself, inside and out, knows your whole history, knows every way that you failed, knows every betrayal of your life and every unkept promise. Knows where every body is buried. Right? Knows everything about you. Knows your side of the story. Knows you. Loves you and wants to be your friend. Loves you and wants to be your friend. He isn't disgusted by you. He will not turn his face away from you. He won't. He's the one who reaches out and touches you and says, I will be clean. I want you. I love you. You're mine. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And his heart is all compassion for you. Let's pray. Father, you know this is much easier for us to understand than it is for us to believe and feel. And so we ask you, having put this before us, that you would put it in us deeply.
that you'd let us have some hope and relief from our shame, and confidence in your compassion and your friendship to us, hopeful about the future with you. Come and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. It has been much different.